Next thing I know, he's scheduling meetings. We're off talking to people. And uh, boy, put on your seatbelt. When you're with another type A entrepreneur, they just kind of take the idea from inception. And that belief, it reflects back to you. When somebody believes in you and your own ideas, you're like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, we're definitely going to do this. Let, let, let's get it going. I don't throw darts no more. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I am being interviewed by none other than Bryn Erdy, the head of marketing at Lead Simple. I'm talking about something near and dear to my heart in order to facilitate the story. We got Bryn on the show in the driver's seat. Bryn, here we go. Here we go, Jordan. All right. Let's go. We're talking about PM Grow. Yes. What's the backstory there? How did this get started? What's the origin? Share with me really like the the nuts and bolts, the the idea behind PM Grow at its beginnings. Well, I got in and out of PM Grow over about three years. At the outset, I'm at a bar with Alex. I met Alex and the category was such a match for what we do. CRM, for CRM to work, you need leads. In order to get leads, you need marketing. Alex ran a marketing agency. So there, there was a lot of natural synergy between what we both did as companies. Because of that, we started kind of doing some biz dev, some natural co-marketing, co-branding. Somewhere along the way, and by somewhere, I mean specifically at the broker owner at, forget the name of the hotel, but it's uh, the Mirage in 2015 or 2016, we're sitting down having a drink and I uttered the the words, Hey, wouldn't it be fun if we hosted a conference? (laughs) And as is the case with any great friendship or partnership, the other person says, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. And I'm like, well, hold on now. You know, it was just an idea. Next thing I know, he's scheduling meetings. We're off talking to people. And uh, boy, put on your seatbelt. When you're with another type A entrepreneur, they just kind of take the idea from inception. And that belief, it reflects back to you. When somebody believes in you and your own ideas, you're like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, we're definitely going to do this. Let, let, let's get it going. So we started having some conversations. We initially met with um, Clay, Clay over at PMW, shout out to the rent buying crew. And we kind of, we talked with the three of us about doing something. They, they're doing building websites at the time, also a natural fit. So we come together to plan and do that. So we started having these meetings. We talked to an event planner from another event that I had attended that was really well run. I was like, hey, who's your event planner? I meet the guy. He's great. So we decided to start working with him. About six to eight weeks into it, after we had a concept, a name, and a logo, Clay dropped in and he was like, hey, you know what? Can't swing it right now. Priority, focus, emphasis. You guys run with it. We're a little bit bummed, but it's like, okay, all right, we got this. We can still do it. So we keep going uh, and we pick a venue. We decide to do it in Florida in a tiny little town. I don't even remember the, where exactly in Florida, somewhere in Florida that had never been before. It was a nice little modest venue. We got some speakers, worked hard to get some folks that we really thought were going to be great. And while we were excited, we had no clue how this was going to go. Never done this before. Never hosted an event, never seen or been to 
an industry event that wasn't run by NARPM. So taking a bit of a gamble, bit of a risk, but conceptually, it didn't seem that crazy, right? I mean, who hasn't been to industry trade shows? So we're getting closer, we're getting closer, we're doing some marketing, we get some early folks that we have close relationships with signing up that first wave of tickets. And then the slog of the real marketing to get people that we don't know to the event starts the nail biting of having committed to a block of rooms that if we cannot fill, we will have to pay for that starts. We get closer, we keep pushing, we keep pushing. We get to the final day, it's sold out. We have a great time. And uh, that was, that was year one. I was really, I felt great. It was a ton of fun. And that's kind of how we got into it. So after year one, it, it sounds like it was successful. Very well received. After year one, you you take away, what are your learnings here? What do you walk away with? I think the biggest learning right at the outset was that that was the moment that I could step away from the booth. As a vendor, you're tied to the booth, you're tied to the logo, you're talking about what you do. It's a fairly low leverage, low interest situation, at least for me. I like CRM. I think it's interesting, but I mean, shoot, there's a limit. Like I'd like to talk about some other things in order to have the permission to do that. You have to facilitate and host a bigger conversation in order to do that. You have to give yourself permission to talk about things that are not clearly and overtly going to make you money in the next five minutes. That's patience. That's the long game. That's investment. Going down that route through hosting PM Grow, it took me out of the vendor category and more just like somebody in the industry doing cool things. That was a great feeling. It felt really freeing and it opened me up and it gave me a platform to do a bunch of other stuff, including, you know, this podcast, start other companies, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you uh, then get your sights set on year two? Yeah. So we figure, hey, let's let's do it again. Let's have a repeat. And for year two, we figured let's do it bigger, better, another market. There was a lot of response. People felt it when we first did it. So the year two wave kind of built, I would say that it was close to double the size. We hosted it in San Diego. We brought in some speakers from, uh, from Australia and a bunch of other places. We had some more budget for, for keynotes and it was just fun to kind of build, you know, when you feel that momentum and the flywheel going, you feel things building. I'll say in year two, I think some of my observations were that there were some, some stumbles from my personal quality standards, which at times I would describe as exacting, it didn't fully meet the mark for me. There were a couple of speakers that in my view bombed. The venue was so-so. Even the seating, it was theater style instead rather than classroom style seating. Some of those elements were off. And that was a great moment of reflection of The fact that you can deliver a B-level service at scale doesn't mean that it is rewarding. At the end of the day, I think people were happy, but I got to see a little bit of uh, some, some marks of sloppiness here and there that afterwards were a really great reflection of like, what are you going to do with momentum? Are you going to screw it up? Are you going to get lazy? Are you going to get entitled? Or are you going to maintain a high standard based on what feels right for me personally, rather than some kind of model or framework of what success should look like? Mm-hmm. And you, uh, the, the, the buy-in at this point, so you feel like it's successful as far as attendees. What does that, that aspect of PM grow at this point look like? A lot of marketing, you know, it's a marketing company partnered up with the CRM company, but a lot of blocking and tackling video 
promo, coupon code, copy. I wrote a lot of copy for those emails. Every speaker has a story. There's a narrative, there's a topic, there's a theme. And by default, it's a commodity. Let's say it's either somebody you've never heard of or somebody that, oh, I've already heard of that guy. In either case, the starting point isn't positive. Can we take the topic or theme and wrap it in a story that's interesting? Not just the nature of the raw utility of the topic, like fee maxing is fee maxing. It's interesting to a lot of folks. It's kind of over the shark and boring to others. But in the context of fee maxing, we have so-and-so talking. Who are they? Where do they come from? What is their superpower? What are they going to contribute? I felt like that the marketing was a signal of the care and the quality and the investment that was going into the aesthetic and the experience of the event. And furthermore, let's be honest, I enjoy writing some good copy. So all of those details, that was a lot of effort. It wasn't as crazy as year one, I would say, but there was definitely a heavy lift from me and Alex and me and Alex were pretty much it. We were really small at the time. We didn't have the resources to pull in. It was pretty much just us in a trench, back to back, willing this thing to to grow and keep happening. I want to go back to the beginning. So it sounds like this idea was born just you guys were having fun, having a good time. Yeah. Were goals discussed at that point? Or was it just like this pie in the sky opportunity? Hey, this seems super cool. Or was it like, hey, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to accomplish some sort of, I want the platform. I want to be an influencer. I want to bust out of the vendor category. Well, boy, that word platform. I don't know if we ever used that, but I think honestly, it felt more like that for me. I think Alex had some goals of where we could take it, how we could monetize. I was really comfortable not monetizing that in order to be able to monetize other things. Reach, access, distribution, that's always felt like a great place to me. And I've always had the confidence to believe that with that in hand, I could develop separate monetization opportunities and strategies rather than needing to monetize the reach itself. For example, I could be charging a sponsor to have a spot on this podcast. I could make a little bit of money that way. It'd be nice, but I'd rather start a business that this podcast and that the conversation we're having could be pointed towards in a natural kind of organic long-term way. So I didn't feel this heavy burden to try and monetize it. It was more just like, let's have a really good time. Let's add a ton of value and let what come comes. Bryn here from Lead Simple. I love Lead Simple, but that feels like a given. Instead of telling you why I love it, here's Sarah Hatch from Hatch Property Management. We're very happy and I recommend so many people to Lead Simple because I'm like, oh my gosh, it changed our world. <laughs> it totally changed our whole way of uh, managing properties and staying in contact. It's the best business investment I've ever made. To learn more and connect with one of my teammates, go to leadsimple.com slash podcast today. And you set out with one event in mind or did you anticipate from the start this was going to be an annual an annual conference? I think we knew if we could do it once, we'd want to do it again. I think there were some thoughts of doing some other stuff outside of that, but my ambition was somewhat restrained there. I wasn't trying to build an empire per se with PM Grow. I just wanted to do something annually that we could be proud of and that we felt like honored and respected the intelligence of the people in this room by taking great concepts that had really been banged on and vetted and porting and contextualizing them to this industry. That singular 
act of intellectual service was incredibly st stimulating to me. And that was essentially the essence of what I personally got out of it. So let's fast forward to today. Where's it going? PM Grow? PM Grow. Wouldn't know. Not involved, but I'm sure they're doing okay. great stuff. Okay. Yeah. So the transition was that after year three, the other thing I would add about year two. So another highlight from year two was Danny and I did this benchmarking study. Danny, Daniel, that's his name, Daniel. I call him Danny. He's a good buddy of mine. Known him for over a decade. After year one, Danny and I, Danny comes with me to a mastermind that Alex and I hosted. We brought Greg Crabtree out to hang with a couple of clients at a seven-story villa in Mexico. It was crazy. <laughs> I'd like to go back there again. We had a great time and we're just jamming and riffing on numbers. Greg is a true legend. He's a mentor. I have so much regard. Danny came with us in order to kind of explore the opportunity space of numbers and finance. He was already doing some accounting stuff. The, th the consideration was like, hey, maybe you could come into this vertical and do something more specialized here. And as he did so, we basically had this epiphany moment of like, hey, what if we could do a benchmarking study to not only understand really beyond sales marketing, completely off of sales marketing, which is my background, my bread and butter, and where I sat at that time and pivot into instead profit, numbers, bottom line. We realized you could grow a company and still not be making any money. That was a dark thought. How do we press into that? So at that event, after following year one, we decided to do this benchmarking study. Danny, like any entrepreneur worth his salt, was just willing to jump in on faith that we could do this and it would be a great idea. So we start this crazy, crazy project of doing this benchmarking study. It ended up taking close to 2,000 hours. But in the process of doing that, that led to another business called Profit Coach. And in year two, we, prevent, we present all the data from the benchmarking study. And we were working to the very last minute and hour. And it was such a trip. I mean, these guys were just working to the point of physical exhaustion. We meet in the hotel room like 48 hours before we're supposed to present some key stuff. It still isn't figured out. We're grinding macros, spreadsheets. One of my other business partners is in the room and says, this is like, I asked him to help. And he basically kind of put his hands up and says, this is insanity. Like, like you should stop. We didn't stop. Another thing I appreciate about Danny and we present that data and that was really well received. That was a. So you made it. We made it. Okay. We hit the deadline. We presented the information. It was really useful, a bit of a game changer. And I was incredibly proud of that moment to use that platform to do something of value and service, and then to be able to parlay that into a separate business. That was the closure on year two. Year three was also great. To cut a long story short, at the time that year three was approaching, it was clear that Alex was exiting four and a half. And the experience that I had had was really, it was me and Alex. Alex is a personal friend of mine. I still talk with him. And as he was kind of sunsetting and moving on, a lot of the magic at that point was gone. This Again, it wasn't a corporate activity. It was like me doing something really enjoyable with a friend. So as he went, I went, we decided to uh, kind of sunset and move on. At the same time, it was something that four and a half sans Alex, the people there were really still excited about doing. So we made some arrangements behind the scene and we're able to transition it over to be something that they run. And I'm sure they'll do great things with it, but no longer involved. No longer involved. Nope. Nothing. 
Nothing. I still get emails. Can I get a discount on my ticket? <laughs> Response. If it was up to me, you could have 100 tickets for free, but it's not. So please contact support at four and a half dot com. <laughs> awesome. Well, do you expect uh, going forward any sort of involvement, any sort of support for PM Grow? I'm a cheerleader and I'm hoping they're doing great things. I'm sure it's going to be a good event. But um, yeah, support for right now is basically just being on the sidelines, kind of rooting for them to succeed. I'm grateful for the journey. I'm grateful for the that time and that chapter. I find that good things in life can be chapters. There doesn't need to be any grieving or disappointment when they wind down. I'm proud of what I did there. I'm proud of the quality of the events that we put on. And I'm also proud to be able to close out chapters to create room and margin for new things, which is also a risk, but it's part of not staying stale and betting on yourself and believing that if I wanted to do that again, I could, and I would, and maybe I shall, we'll see what the future holds. But for right now, I got a lot going on. So I'm grateful to not currently be in the events game. I was just about to ask, would you do it again? I would, uh, I would do it again if the circumstances were right. If it was something I believed in, something that felt right and where I was going to be challenged and have a hell of a good time. Yeah, I would definitely do it again. But, you know, again, like I have no immediate intention. It's just kind of, you got to wait for the muse to strike. A bit different perspective here on would you do it again? Would you do it all over again? Yes, I would definitely do it all over again. I had so much fun and it contributed so much to my journey and development as an entrepreneur. So 10 out of 10, I would definitely do it again. I would I would do a couple of things differently. I'd improve it, but yeah, I'd do it again. Your take on events, event strategy. Well, I think that for most folks, event strategy is show up and throw up, man a booth, sit behind it, pretend you're having a good time, maybe get drunk afterwards. There's not a lot of strategy and intent for most folks. You see some folks in our space doing it well. Um, you know, you can probably intuit who that is that I'm even referencing. And I think that there's a clear path to making the most of events in person, really leaning in relationally, focusing on the experience. That's an exciting aspect of it to me. And I think that's where things get interesting is where you have something to say, you're using the time well, and you're playing the long game. So you're thinking beyond MQL, capture, how many leads did I get? Yeah, that stuff matters. And if you have nothing to show for, you probably aren't going to get the budget. But at the same time, do you have some budget for seeing and taking care of your clients? If you have no interest in loving on and spending time and investing in your existing clients, I think you're you're mi really missing the boat on the value of what's possible in events. Biggest hesitation on events? Biggest hesitation is it's really hard and it's, you know, is it harder or is it easier if you suck? That's an interesting question. It's easier to put on a low quality event. It also is a lot less useful. I don't know if it was an, I mean, actually I do know events for me as a standalone were not ever an economically viable premise. Somebody else knows how to make money on events. I think that these uh, IMN people maybe have that figured out. <laughs> I didn't figure out how to make money on events. 
I figured out how to use it as a platform to gain reach, connection with the audience, to play the long game, and then to use my other monetization vehicles, my other businesses, as the way whereby through that connection and through that kind of feeder, I could make the whole thing work. But you know, as for me and my experience, if if you think I'm a smart, sharp entrepreneur, bear in mind, I never figured out how to actually make any meaningful amount of money running events. Let's uh, go to the flip side of that. What excites you the most with uh, with events? So I know you talked about human connection a little bit. Yeah, I think the thing that excites me the most is the pressure. The entire room is watching you. And it's just this opportunity to take a giant whiff and to fall flat on your face and to be humiliated. It's an opportunity to disappoint people, to affirm your mediocrity in a really searing, palpable way, to create a scar that maybe you can't ever undo, or it's an opportunity to blow someone away, to reframe the familiar and the banal and to help people reimagine the work that they're doing and to elevate what's possible or even the direction of of their lives and the intersection between work and the personal that that the range of possibilities that bag of goodies that feels high stakes and that i think was probably the most exciting and electric part and it always took Speaker selection was grueling. I was like, is uh, is this person capable? Is it, are they really smart, but it's not really relevant to property management? Um, can you help contextualize it? If they're in the game, will they do the work to actually polish up their concepts, to put some charisma and presentation around it? Half-assing events just is the norm. Like truly, truly, truly the norm. Afterthought, late on time. Slides suck, poorly formatted, wall of text. I didn't practice my presentation, go over on time, or I'm outside the industry. I didn't even contextualize. It's supposed to be a market sales marketing talk, and I'm tending up talking about tenant marketing instead of owner marketing. I'm looking up to try and read NARPM because I didn't even bother to find out what these people do. It's just a hodgepodge of, of disappointing mediocrity. And every once in a while you find some gems. And when you do, it really makes it worthwhile. But obviously with events, it's not just about what's on stage. It's about what's in the halls, the communication, the conversation. I'd say that the content is the means and the medium to attract a sufficiently high caliber audience so that the networking is popping because that's where the real conversation, that's where the real transformation in conversation happens. I want to wrap up with... uh... There's this this quote I heard recently. You probably heard it as well. Chris Walker stated to me and Jen on one of his podcasts. Someone jumped in to ask a question and brought up this uh, Wayne Gretzky quote about being so good that you're you know not skating where the puck is. You're going to where it should be or where it will go. Mm. Mm. It's kind of I was actually just talking about this the other day with someone. Where is event what's next? Where's it going? I mean, events can't be the end all be all, right? Everything has a bit of a shelf life. What's what do you think's next? Well, in-person connection ain't going anywhere. I think what's moving is the experience around events. When we first started off, events that we participate in were pretty low key. You show up, you hawk your wares, have some drinks afterwards. The level of pomp and circumstance, I mean, frankly, that you and I 
are and will be participating in about a month from now at ARPA National <laughs> is at a way higher level than it ever has been at the end. I love the idea of competing with other vendors to take care of and to celebrate the independent residential property manager. That's exciting to me. The bar is going up. The elevation of the experience is going up. A lot of the old legacy dinosaur companies, they can't be bothered to you know, really even be there or do much. And it creates an opportunity. The opportunity improves just the experience and the vibe and you get more people coming. And it's this kind of beautiful flywheel of leaning into the, the customer experience. So I think to sum it up, customer experience going from transactional to experiential, that's where it's headed. And I'm excited to be kind of with you in that game and in that pursuit of that elevation. Absolutely. Well, Jordan, thank you. Thank you for talking not only about PM Grow, but events in general and, and where you see things headed. I think it's uh, it's going to be a, an exciting month ahead in 2022 with, with events going on. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be on. Appreciate you bringing me on. Thank you.